Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Can the sleep and activity patterns of fruit flies help us better understand human metabolic disorders? It's a big question, and one that we're going to touch upon today, as we explore the recent heredity paper, Variation in Mitochondrial DNA Affects Locomotor Activity and Sleep in Drosophila melanogaster. What makes this paper extra special is that it's the product of an undergrad research project. So, let's meet our authors. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please all introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Pedro Vale. I'm a lecturer and a group leader at the Institute of Ecology and Evolution at the University of Edinburgh. Hi, I'm Lucy and I was an undergraduate at the University of Edinburgh between 2015 and 2019. Hi, I'm Katie Monteith. I'm a postgraduate research assistant working for Pedro in the Institute of Ecology and Evolution at the University of Edinburgh. Perfect. Well, thank you all for joining me from clearly very different places. It's great to have you here to talk about your paper. And I guess the first question is, can one of you just sort of generally tell us what your paper's about? I can go ahead with that. The paper is generally about genetic variation and specifically variation that arises from the mitochondrial genome uh, and how that variation affects locomotor activity and sleep in fruit flies. Perfect. And I think fruit flies are obviously a very common model system. A lot of people might be familiar with them. But why are you interested in these locomotor activities and sleep patterns in fruit flies? Ah, that, so that's a, a good question. And kind of when we think about this paper, it, it's kind of an odd paper taking into account the research we usually do. So we're a lab that focuses on the ecology and evolution uh, of infection and immunity of host pathogen interactions in general. And so this paper is kind of an intersection of of two kind of separate things that we started working on a couple of years ago. So the interest in locomotor activity and sleep came about when just thinking about how can we measure host health, organismal health. And we, we, we got to thinking that behavioral responses are actually quite a good way of assessing whether an individual is, is ill during infection. Uh, so we wanted more subtle readings than just dead or alive. And so a number of years ago, we started to measure how infection impacts how much uh, flies move and, and, and how infection may uh, impact their sleep. Yeah, fascinating. Um, and how did you kind of all get involved with this project? Right. So um, so there's another bit of information that might be important there. So the other aspect of, of the study relates to understanding mitochondrial effects on various traits. Uh, and so a number of years ago, a former postdoc, Tina Salmanen, who is also a co-author on this study, uh, she approached me and said, look, I've got this great system to study mitochondrial effects in fruit flies by using cybrid lines. And so using this system, we can introgress a certain mitochondrial haplotype onto whatever nuclear background we want. And so we can essentially disentangle the effects of mitochondrial and nuclear DNA on any trait. And we were particularly interested in those effects on immunity. Tina joined the lab and we started working on those questions five or six years ago now. And then during that period, 
every year we advertise uh, honors projects and we thought uh, a very cool project we could offer was to try and understand how these mitochondrial effects may impact uh, these behavioral traits that we're also interested in, so locomotor activity and sleep. And so that's where Lucy came in. Uh, so she joined the lab, was it in 2019, to carry out this project? Exactly, yeah. I think as a honours student, we were given a big, long list of projects and we had to kind of submit our interest in the different projects. So it's a long time ago now, but I think the way that it worked is that I spoke to Pedro and essentially I just thought it sounded like a really interesting, cool project to get involved with. So uh, for me, it went from there. Nice. And I guess, Katie, how did you get involved with this? Is this when you joined the lab? No, I was already working in the lab for Pedro. Um, so as the research assistant in the lab, I tend to sort of co-supervise or help out supervising the honour students more in the lab with the actual experimental work. So I was involved in, in the lab helping Lucy out. From my experience, that's pretty much the most important role <laughs> in an undergraduate project. Katie is by far the most important member of, of the lab you know, in, in that she does everything and also knows how to, to, to measure activity in the flies very well. So Perfect. So I guess uh, it's a good background as to what you're looking at and what you were all kind of doing in this project. So what was it you specifically set out to study? What were your particular aims with this project? We had a panel of, of fly lines in the lab that came from a sort of worldwide distribution. So flies from all over the world collected at some point from different parts of the world. Uh, and then Tina Salmonen had created a panel of cybrid lines based on these. So we had mitochondrial genotypes from all over the world introgressed onto the same nuclear background. And so well, one of the main questions is we wanted to understand, first of all, is there variation between these lines in their activity levels and sleep patterns, simply as a product of them being from different geographic locations and different genotypes? So that was the first starting point and the first thing that Lucy measured. And then the second thing that we wanted to address is, okay, assuming they did vary between each other, how much of this variation is down to their mitochondrial genome? Um, and, and can we disentangle the contribution of their nuclear genome, their mitochondrial genome on these traits? And then finally, the third question we addressed is related to something called the mother's curse hypothesis. So what we're doing when we're creating these cybrid lines, when we're taking a certain mitochondrial genotype and introgressing it onto a different nuclear background, what we're essentially doing is breaking up really old co-evolved associations between mitochondria and their nuclear background. So if you've got a certain fly genotype that's co-evolved with its mitochondrial genotype for, for many generations, if you suddenly put that mitochondria in a new, in a new nuclear background, you're, you're breaking up those co-evolved interactions. And so there's a, there's a prediction that when you do this, you might expect there to be a, a lower performance, particularly in, in male flies. The reason for that is because mitochondria are transmitted maternally, uh, selection in males is very, very weak. And so if you have, for example, if a male inherits a mitochondria that has really deleterious effects, that is completely irrelevant to selection because that mitochondria will never be passed on through those males. And so we could test the mother's curse hypothesis using our experimental design. And that was the third thing that we decided to, uh, to test. Nice. Um, and I think what's really interesting is that you're clearly combining lots of different methods and lots of different fields of study. So I'm really curious as to how you actually went about conducting this project. So I guess that's more Lucy and Katie, but like, how did you actually go about conducting the study? 
Yeah, so originally we got these eight different Drosophila melanogaster strains, all coming from unique geographical regions. These regions covered five continents. So each strain has its unique mitochondrial nuclear DNA background. Using these strains, Tina Salmon then made eight cybrid strains. So a cybrid is a strain which contains nuclear DNA from one source and cytoplasmic DNA, i.e. mitochondrial DNA, from another source. As mitochondrial DNA is only passed on from the mother, the cybrid lines were created by mating virgin females from each strain with males from a nuclear donor strain, which in this case was Organar, which is a common wild-type fruit fly strain. So this gave us 16 strains in total. We have the eight wild-type strains that have their natural co-evolved mitonuclear DNA combination. And we have eight cybrid strains that have their original mitochondrial DNA but are all on the same donor organar nuclear DNA background. So the activity and sleep patterns of these 16 different strains was then recorded using a Drosophila activity monitor, um, or DAM for short. This is a, a really useful and I think cool bit of equipment developed by a company called Trikinetics, and it allows you to record the movement of individually housed fruit flies among other insects. So... What Lucy did was um, she set up the 16 strains in densely controlled populations and then collected age-matched mated individuals a few days after they had closed. So each experimental fly is knocked out using carbon dioxide and loaded into a small transparent tube called an activity tube. The activity tubes are only about 65 millimetres long and 5 millimetres in diameter. The narrow diameter of the tube means that the fly can freely move up and down the tube, but it minimizes the amount of movement in other planes. I should also mention that prior to adding the fly, a sugar agar food source is set in one end of the activity tube so that the fly has a continuous food and moisture source during the experiment. Once the fly is added, the activity tube is then sealed with rubber caps and added to a monitor that contains an infrared beam which crosses the center point of each activity tube. This means that any time a fly crosses the beam, this is recorded as an activity count. The dam monitors were housed in an incubator, which controls for both temperature and light cycles, and was left running for three consecutive days. This was done for 480 flies in total, so there was 30 individual flies from each of the 16 strains, 15 male and 15 female. From all the data collected, we then looked at the total activity of each fly strain, i.e. the total number of beam counts over these three days. We also looked at the proportion of time that the different fly strains spent sleeping. So this is possible as a five-minute period of inactivity in Drosophila melanogaster has previously been defined as sleep. Thus, any consecutive five-minute period where the beam was not crossed has been defined as a period of sleep. Finally, to determine whether these flies are more or less active simply because they sleep more or less, or whether the strains differed in how active they were when they were awake, we also calculated the mean activity counts during awake periods only. I mean, it sounds like a lot of sort of very complicated fiddly work. And I guess, Lucy, you were an undergraduate at the time. What was it like doing this kind of experiment? 
it was definitely an interesting experience, I think. To be honest, a lot of my friends thought I was a bit crazy at the time, coming into a lab <laughs> to look after flies, but it was a really cool experience. I guess since especially now I don't work in like research or science at all I'm really grateful of the experience to have worked in a lab and sort of understand the research process it's very sort of I guess labor intensive and repetitive but I think it's quite satisfying because especially with the dam you can see the results very visually which I always quite liked so yeah it's a good experience. Nice. So you got the real research experience there as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously the methods are very cool and you have these sort of very cool questions. So what were some of your key findings? What were you finding out about these fruit flies? I mean, I can answer maybe at sort of a high level and then Pedro, maybe you can go into more specifics yeah, if you course. want. Um, so I think we can kind of answer that question in three parts, I suppose. So firstly, I think we found that the car evolved flies, the sort of naturally occurring flies, do have sex-specific natural variation in sleeping activity patterns. So, for example, we found uh, female flies to be more active overall, but males are actually more active when they're awake. It's just that they slept for a bigger proportion of their time. And then we looked at whether sort of this was caused at all by the mitochondrial DNA variation, and we found that it was. And then the third part, I suppose, was that the cybrid flies do have different sleeping activity patterns to flies with the naturally occurring curve of nuclear background and this I suppose could be due to the disruption to the mitonuclear gene combinations. Yeah so one of the things that stood out to me as one of the results it wasn't super surprising that the different lines were used varied in their activity it was interesting to see that females are generally more active than males and then when we tried to break that down into uh, how much of this variation was explained by their mitochondrial genome it was sort of interesting so we saw that for either total activity or, or sleep, uh, it was maybe only 15 to 20% of the variance was explained by the mitochondria. But if we look at how much they move when they're awake, then uh, most of the variation, uh, nearly 80% of the variation, was explained by the mitochondria. So the mitochondrial genome is having an impact on very specific aspects of their behavior. And we wouldn't have been able to test this or disentangle this if we didn't have this very useful cyber system where we can split these two things apart. It's also worth mentioning that maybe uh, a few words in favour of, of the peer review process. This idea of going out and statistically analysing the variance components was actually a suggestion by one of the reviewers, which ended up being a very useful suggestion. So worth pointing that out, I think. Yeah, I think the editors always really like hearing that. And I guess one of the things that's really interesting, particularly at Heredity, because we're interested in kind of broad themes, is what the sort of wider take-home message in your paper is. And that might be a bit easier for you, given that you're saying this isn't necessarily your main research theme. So what is the big take-home in this paper? I would say that the big take-home is, certainly as an evolutionary ecologist, we're very interested in variation, so in phenotypic variation and understanding the genetic basis of that phenotypic variation. Very often what happens is we focus a lot on um, variation polymorphism in the nuclear genome and the mitochondria sort of gets forgotten about. You know, maybe understandably it's a very small genome and codes for very few genes. In the case of the fly, there are only 13 protein coding genes in the mitochondrial genome. But what we're, we're seeing uh, increasingly is that mitochondria have very, very important impact and very important effects on the variation we see in a number of different life history traits. Um, so Flo Camus, who's also a co-author on the paper, has done quite a lot of work 
showing that mitochondrial genome can have uh, profound effects on a number of different life history traits uh, and developmental traits. So I would say a general take-home message of this paper is that, A, we should be paying a lot more attention to the mitochondrial genome as a source of genetic variation. But also on a maybe a slightly more applied aspect is that we can maybe use the FLY system as a really powerful genetic system to understand these uh, mitochondrial effects, and particularly how they may affect uh, things like sleep disorders in other organisms. And so because it's a a very well-established model of of sleep, a very well-established model of mitochondrial interactions, so putting those two things together can generate very powerful predictions, I think, for other systems. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of the real strengths of using a model system. (laughs) And I guess I only have one last question, and it's kind of for Lucy, because I know this paper came from your undergraduate work. And obviously, it's not unheard of for having undergraduate papers published, but I still think it's fairly uncommon. Um, So I'm really curious as to what the experience of doing this study and then getting it published was like for you. It's been a very exciting process, I think. I mean, it's definitely been a long process, the publication process. I think we were talking about the fact that I worked on the original paper over three years ago for my honours project. Maybe also not helped that we did have a pandemic in the middle of that, but quite long nonetheless. So it's been definitely interesting to see how the paper has evolved since then. So obviously it's been a a big group effort. And yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for the experience. I think, I mean, especially the fact that I don't work in research, it is quite sort of satisfying to have the paper published in such a well-renowned journal. So it's all it's all very exciting. Fantastic. Yeah, it, I think everyone kind of loves hearing that first publication experience. And even if you've left academia, I've done the same. I think it's still a really nice thing to go through at least once. And hopefully, heredity was a good experience for you. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's everything that I had to ask. And I guess just to finish up, I wonder if you could remind us of what your paper is called and also tell us about anyone else who helped bring us this research. Um, Sure. So the title of the paper is Variation in Mitochondrial DNA Affects Locomotor Activity and Sleep in Drosophila melanogaster. And this was a study led by Lucy Anderson with contributions from Florencia Camus, Katie Monti, Tina Salmanen, and myself, Pedro Vale. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining me and sharing this research with us. No, thank you for the invitation to talk about it. Thank you. Thanks to Lucy, Katie and Pedro. You can find their paper on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.